All right, and as I said, we are in Matthew chapter two, and we will be diving in into that before uh, as we as we get started. Um, so, so this week I was I was reading an article, and I discovered a, a few Christmas brain teasers. And so I'm just going to go through those this morning. If you think you know the answer, feel free to shout out uh, the answer. Um, you can be brave if you want to. Uh, and these are brain tweezer, uh, tweezers. <laughs> They're not brain tweezers. Uh, brain teasers, just some things to, to think through. All right, here's the first one. What do you call an elf that sings? What do you call an elf that sings? Elf. Oh, that's a good one. It's not the answer, but it's, it's good. All right, it's a rapper. A, a rapper uh, is one we're looking for there. Uh, Elf, yeah, Elvis, I think Elphis is better too. Uh, so uh, what is the difference between the ordinary alphabet and the Christmas alphabet? Anybody have any ideas? The Christmas alphabet has no L. Get it? No L. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a little punny. All right. What nationality is Santa Claus? He's the uh, North Polish. What do you call an old snowman? What's that? Melted. Melted water. Yeah, we call it water. Good. All right. Why did no one buy Comet and Rudolph? Why did no one buy Comet and Rudolph? Because they were just too dear. <laughs> and finally, what happened to the guy who stole the advent calendar? He got 25 days. Yeah, that's, that's it. All right. So there you go. Clearly, I'm not going to be making the comedy tour anytime soon. Uh, but like, as, as we think about these questions, like they're, they're really simple, right? But they're just things that we ponder, things that we think about. Maybe we have some, some thoughts. Maybe we don't. But what we're going to see in our story today is when we look at the Magi, when we look at the wise men, these are guys who spent their lives pondering things. They spent their lives thinking about things. They spent their lives just thinking about things that were actually important, not necessarily Christmas brain teasers, but something so much more and something so much more important. And so we've been in this series that we're walking through Advent. We're seeing how people's lives were diverted when, when they came in contact and with the reality of Jesus. First, we looked at King Herod. And we saw how, how his life was diverted, not in a good way, that he chose to reject Jesus and to do everything to get away from him and to try to get rid of him. Last week, we talked about Mary and Joseph and about just the life of surrender and the life of obedience and availability that they had once they, they have this call. And today, we're going to be talking about the wise men. Uh, and so let's flip once again, Matthew 2, we're going to start in verse 1 and verse 2. So let's read as they get introduced to us in their story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And so one of, the, one of the important things for us is like, as we start to understand who these wise men are, who these magi are, these are their astrologers. And for the most part, they probably came from Persia. So the eastern lands that they've come from is more than likely Persia. And what they have done is they have combined this, this primitive uh, this stargazing with like this idea of trying to, to read the times. And so these wise men, what they would have done is they would have been instrumental in trying to identify when a, a new king or kingdom was going to come. And so when they see this star, when they start seeing the times, they, they start to realize, they start to think, like, this, is, must, this must be 
a new king that is coming. And as you think about this, like the response that King Herod had, we talked about two weeks ago, perhaps this wasn't an unusual response that they have seen before. Like, I'll just be honest, like if, if somebody comes and shows up, if you're the king and they say, hey, there's going to be another king coming, I doubt a lot of people are really excited about that. So maybe this was something they've experienced before, but they have no idea what kind of king they are about to meet. They have no idea what kind of kingdom they are about to get to know. And I don't know if many of you know this, uh, but I have a, a really, I, I have the ability of playing the keyboard. I, I don't know if people know this, but I can actually play the piano. Some of you may be wondering why, you don't, why I don't play in church. Um, two reasons. One, I know one song. We Three Kings. That's, that's, that, this is my song. We Three Kings of Orientar. That's the reason number two why I don't play in church, because I can't sing. Uh, but like, this is the song. But contrary to the popular Christmas carol, the only song that I know on the piano, uh, contrary to the Christmas cards that we may have, nowhere in Matthew's gospel does, these, does, does he say there are three of them. Nowhere does he say that they are kings. So I would have to like change my entire song, the one song I could play. So the reality is like we don't know if there's three. We don't know if they're kings. All we know is they are wise men. They are smart guys. And this is not just a name. Like This is actually a, a descriptive term. And so what they're coming to do, the Magi, they spent their lives looking at the stars, trying to, to identify, trying to see what things were going to be, what kind of king or kingdom there was going to come. And they just say oh, that this king, Jesus, he was far different than anything they have experienced before. He was far different than anything they could have, have seen. While we have no idea how many actual like, wise men there were, we don't really know. What we do know, there's something really significant about these guys, is they introduce to us a groundbreaking, an earth-shattering, uh, an, uh, an eternity-altering situation. And here's what we begin to see as we look at this. This has this long-lasting implications because the wise men represent Jesus' first acceptance by the Gentiles. You guys catch that? Like, these are the first people that we see as we open up the Gospels who have accepted Jesus and as we see in Luke chapter 2, Luke 2, we talked about this last week, is, is Jesus is gone and he's being presented in the temple. And there's this guy, Simeon, who sees Jesus and he has this prophecy. And here's what he says. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared inside of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So we see is, is Simeon's prophecy has come true. Because there's now some Gentile believers, some people who are Gentiles who have come to worship Jesus. And as we look through Jesus' life, as we look at the very end of Jesus' life, when he's died, and he's getting ready to rise into heaven, he gave his great commission. And perhaps you remember this. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of, of how many nations? All nations. Make, make disciples of all nations, including everyone before he gets ready to, to ascend into heaven in Acts chapter 1. Perhaps you even have this, this passage memorized because we listened to it for three summers straight, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me. Where? Everywhere. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this was the plan. This was the call that Jesus was going to be for, Jesus was going to be for everyone. So two years, at two years of age, give or take. So we, let's just, let's deal with that first. 
Our, our Christmas story plays usually are a little bit off because like right after the angels come, they see baby Jesus in the manger, then the wise men come. More than likely, like that's not the case. Because if you remember with King Herod, he kills all the kids who are two years or under. So there's, there's this window that's been going on. So Jesus might be about two years old at this point. So it takes them a while to get there. And also we talked about how Jesus' family was poor and they could not afford a sacrificial lamb. If the wise men would have come and brought them gold, they probably could afford a sacrificial lamb. So this is a, a little while later in Jesus' life that, Jesus show, that the wise men show up to see Jesus. But before Jesus, is, before Jesus has preached a single sermon, before Jesus has called his disciples, before Jesus is maybe even toilet trained, before Jesus is, has done any of these fantastic, incredible things that, that he has done, we see that Jesus is for everyone. And what I want us to do is we walk through the story of the, of the wise men, of the magi, I want us to realize that there's a progress that begins to happen, that we start to see the story, the way that it begins to, to work out. Once they see the star, one of the things that they do is they immediately, they go looking. So that's the simple thing. The first thing they do, they see the star and they go and look for it. So let's look again, verses one and part of two. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? So they see the star. They set out and they head to Jerusalem. I want us to notice too, they say, where is the king of the Jews? Like, they already know. They know who Jesus is going to be. They know that he is going to be king. And I find it fascinating. They go to Jerusalem. They go not looking for Jesus. They go looking for, for direction, right? Notice the question. They go and ask, where is the newborn king of the Jews? So they are going there and like, essentially, they have to believe that the wise men in Jerusalem would be able to answer the question of where this newborn king is going to be. Like an event of this magnitude, the religious leader, the, the leader of a, of a village like King Herod would have to know where this was supposed to be taking place. And it's fascinating to me. The heavy irony that we see in this passage is that it's Gentile foreigners who come to Jerusalem, the, the Jewish religious capital, and they are the people who announce the coming of their coming king. Like, do you see this playing out? And the wise men, they have spent years of their lives gazing at stars. They spent time of their lives reading and studying the stars. And they've looked and they've, see, they've, they've seen this moment and they dedicate their lives to go and, and go, go find Jesus. And they go looking for him. They're about to meet a king like none other. And, and perhaps you've heard the story about the Catholic priest, the Pentecostal preacher, the Jewish rabbi, and the Christian pastor. Maybe, maybe you've heard it. And so they would get together once a month, and they would, they would have coffee and enjoy their time together. And inevitably, like, there would start to be some debates about like, some differencing of opinions, some different beliefs that they would have. And so finally, like, this debate was getting a little bit heated. And, and one of, the, one of the, the, the rabbi finally decided, okay, I know how to settle this. He says, here's what's going to happen. And you guys are going to get this as in a real story, by the way. But he, he, said, he tells them, whichever one of us can convert a grizzly bear, clearly God would be on your side. And everybody in this imaginary story, everybody agrees. And they decide that they are going to go ahead and do it. And since it was the Catholic priest, like he, he volunteers to go first. So he walks into the woods and he finds this grizzly bear. And just a few minutes later, he comes running out. And they're like, what happened? And he says, well, I tried to sprinkle it with holy water and it didn't like that, so I took off running. So the next one comes in, the Pentecostal preacher. He's like, I got it. 
And so a Pentecostal preacher runs in and he walks into the woods and a few minutes later he comes out and there's just like blood running down his arm where he clearly has been swiped by a bear. And like, what happened? He was like, well, I, I tried to lay hands on the bear and pray for it and it didn't like it. So I turned around and, and ran. The Christian pastor, he goes in next. 10, 15 minutes later, he comes out. He has a broken arm. And they're like, what happened? And he tells them, well, I tried to baptize the grizzly bear in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It didn't like it, so I turned around and ran. The whole while, the, the Jewish rabbi is, is laughing. He's like, I know how to take care of this. I know how to do it. And so he says, I, watch this, fellas. I'll be back. So he walks into the woods and 10 minutes pass. He's already made it farther than the others. 30 minutes are passed. It's been hours. And the others are not, not like excited. They're starting to get a little bit worried. And so finally, all three of them go into the woods to search for this Jewish rabbi, and they find him, and he is in bad shape. He has been attacked by this grizzly bear. He is in rough shape, and he's like, he's alive, but he barely, and they're pulling him out of the woods. They're taking him to hospital, and they ask him, like, what happened? And he looks at the lads and says, never try to circumcise a grizzly bear. Not a good idea. Bad idea. Worst joke. All right, but, but stick, stick with me a second here. Here's what we see in the story is these lads are they're willing to to risk it all for for the sake of what they believe and in a much more true way this is what the this is what the wise men do i mean they have dedicated their lives to this craft they have spent their lives trying to learn and gain all this knowledge that they can and so they've dedicated time of their life to studying and stargazing and when they set out to jerusalem like this isn't a spur of the moment thing this isn't, a, oh, yeah, sure, let's go to Jerusalem. That'll be fun. Like, no, as we begin to look at a map from Persia to Jerusalem would have been about a thousand miles. It's not a short trip, especially if we're talking about riding camels. Like this would have been a very difficult trip. It also would have been incredibly dangerous because if you, we read at the end of the story, they are bringing gold and they're bringing incense, they're bringing myrrh. And so like they would have also been prime targets of being like jumped and, and robbed. And so this was not just the spur of the moment. Oh yeah, sure, this will be grand. No, this was a, a big life decision that these guys decide to do. I mean, they, they risk it all for the sake of going to see Jesus. And I think it's really fascinating, this contrast that Mark, or Matthew is setting up for us between these Gentile foreigners and the Jewish religious leaders. Notice that they go and they ask the Jewish re religious leaders, like, and, and, and Herod gives them the answer, like, where is Jesus supposed to be born? And they say, in, in, Jeru or in, in Bethlehem, in Judea. And they quote Micah to them. And then they, the, Jew, the Magi go on their way, and the Jewish religious leaders, they stay in Jerusalem. Do you guys see the, the contrast here? The people who should have cared could care less. The people who, who should have cared less, they care. And they are willing, like these Jewish leaders, they have no concern. They have no reason. They're not going to go find Jesus. But these people who, who, who shouldn't care, they do. I mean, just picture these Jewish leaders. They have these religious leaders. They have 600 prophecies about Jesus memorized. By the time they were 13 years old, they would have had the book of Micah memorized that they quote to, to Herod of where the king is going to be born. And yet it, it doesn't move them to go and see Jesus. But the wise men, they, they're, they're moved. They go to Jerusalem. They've got to be surprised. And now they've got to go to Bethlehem of all places, this tiny little town. Um, but, but they leave and they head to this town. And one of the things I think is really significant is they find Jesus. 
and this is important. So this is the next thing we see. They, they go looking and they find Jesus. Read verse 9. It says this. It says, when the, <clears throat> After this interview with the wise men went away, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And then we see in verse six, or 11 that they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. So, so they find Jesus. I want you to catch this phrase, catch this terminology in verse 9 where it says of the star. It says, it went ahead of them. This is the exact same phrasing that we get in Exodus chapter 13 to describe the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that God puts in front of his people as he leads them out of, out of Egypt. And I think this is really, really fascinating. There's this, there's this phrase at the end of Exodus 13 and verse 14, it says this, the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. God was constantly and he's continually leading people into freedom. He is leading people out of, out of captivity and into life, into real and lasting life. Like this is what God has been doing from the beginning of time. The story of the scriptures is this. When we look for Jesus, you will find him. This is the story of the Bible. When we look for Jesus, we will find him. And not because you are super clever. Not because you have looked really diligently and you've got all the right answers finally and, and now you can find Jesus. You're, you look for Jesus, you're not, it's not like the wise men who have spent years of their lives dedicating to this craft. No, the story of the Bible is, is we'll find Jesus because he has been pursuing you all along. He has been after you from the very beginning of time. Jesus was willing to leave heaven, to come to earth as a rescuer on a rescue mission to pursue you. So when we look for Jesus, we will find him. What most of us have to do is we have to just turn around. We have to quit running the opposite direction and turn around and turn towards him. There's a, there's a moment in CIY last year. Or I guess it's still technically this year, but during the summer we were at CIY. And, and we had this girl with us, Vanessa. And we, we met Vanessa the, the Sunday before CIY. So CIY started on a Monday. She came to church with Keegan on, on Sunday. And we just started talking to her, like, hey, do you want to come to CIY? Like, she, she is staying with Keegan and Gerard, but they were going to leave, and it was going to be weird. I was like, look, you can come to CIY. And she was like, okay, I don't really know. And I was, like, explaining to her what, what things were about and, like, what we were doing there and, like, showed her a promo video. And finally, she texted me that afternoon. I was like, sure, yeah, I'll come. But then she says this statement. She was like, I don't really know what I think about God and Jesus. I don't even know if I believe in God and Jesus, but, but I guess I'll come. And I was like, Awesome. And so she comes to CIY and she has this moment, like, after the first day, it was, it, was, it was really funny. It was just one of those things, like, just picture never being in, really being in church before, never really knowing what to do. And then you go to this conference and, and she's like, what is going on here? Why is someone on stage talking for so long? Like, why? And she asked these questions, like, why do people raise their hands when they sing? Why do you close your eyes when we pray? And like all these things, like everything just seems so weird and so foreign to her. And she was just like, this is weird. Not really even sure why I'm here. And so that's the, this is the moment. And then as the week begins to progress, she starts learning about Jesus. She starts getting to know him. And she has one of these moments, like during one of the nights where the guy on stage just says this simple, simple statement. It's like some of you here started this week and you had no idea why you were here. But God has been working in your heart long before this. God has been pursuing you long before this moment. And I just remember at the end of the service, Vanessa and I are having this conversation, and there's just these tears that begin to well up in her eyes. And she was like, 
Is that actually true? Has God actually been pursuing me the whole time? Is that actually true? And at this point, like, if you guys know me, it doesn't take me long to cry. But in this moment, like, my eyes start welling up with tears when I look at her. I'm like, absolutely. God has been pursuing you this whole time. And in this moment, she's like, I don't know much about Jesus. I don't know about God, but I want to follow him. I want to live my life for him. And that was the only response that she could have. After, after meeting Jesus, the only response was worship. That's what we see with the wise men. They get to this moment where they meet Jesus. They finally get to this place. And the only possible thing for them to do was to worship him. And they, they announce this at the very beginning. They say this in verse 2. They say, we saw his star and we have come to worship him. Herod affirms that. He, sa- he knows that's what they're going to do. In verse 8, he says, when you find him, come back and tell me so I can worship him too. And then we find in the end of verse 11, It says this, when they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think this is really significant for us. Is the trip is only worthwhile once they have worshiped Jesus. The trip is only worthwhile once they have worshiped Jesus. I mean, when they, when they get to Jerusalem, they're not like, well, that's good enough. We're close enough. When they get to the house and they see the star above the house, that's not enough. When they walk into the house and they see Jesus, they're like, okay, cool. He's there. See you later. Like, that's not enough for them. The trip is only concluded. The trip is only enough. The trip is only worthwhile when they worship Jesus. And I love this about this story. Like this trip, it would have taken them considerable amounts of time. Months, possibly a year of their lives have been dedicated to this trip. And when they see, when they see the place, when they get led away from the capital city and they head to, to Bethlehem, when they get to just this like this humble house and they walk in to see these seemingly to, to their culture anyway, these, these humble nobodies in the house, they're not disappointed. No, they're they're overjoyed. When they see the star, they're they're filled with joy and they were excited and they're happy and they bow down and they worship him. And they see that Jesus, the the trip was worth it. Everything was worthwhile once once they found Jesus. Have you guys ever had one of these moments where you pursued something for a long time and when you finally got it, you found out it wasn't all that it's cracked up to be? Anybody had one of those moments? Maybe it was you set this like, oh, this is what I want. You worked hard to get it and you got it and you're like, that's it? Maybe think about, let's, we're, we're almost to Christmas. Christmas is in a week. So, so think about this. Maybe you have had this present in mind. Not now, clearly. Like, but like when you were a kid, perhaps. Like you had this present in mind. It's like, if I just get this present, it's going to be awesome. Like, if I can just get this present, all of my wildest dreams are going to be satisfied. All the things that I care about the most, all I'm going to just be so happy, I'm going to be so content. My life will be good if I get this one present. You guys had one of those moments, and then you get it, and after a while, it's just like, hey, where, where did I put that present? I remember when I was a kid, I was, I was a, not quite a teenager yet, but it was close. My brother and I really wanted a PS2. PlayStation 2. And we were super excited. We were, we were asking for this like a lot. We were begging our parents. And like, it was one of those where we were like looking in our parents' like closet just to see if maybe like we got this present. Like, because we were, we were excited. 
like, and then Christmas morning comes. We come downstairs and there's this huge box under the tree. And knowing now, I was like, I should have known that there's no way a PS2 is in that size of box. But at the time, I was like, biggest box, got to be the biggest present. And, and so we see that, and I'm just like, I want to open that present. I want to open that present. But we were trying to be mature. I was like, oh, I won't ask to open that present first because my parents will think we're immature and we only care about one thing. And so we don't want that to happen. And so we open a few of the little presents. And then finally, we're like, can we open the big one? And the fact that they immediately said yes should have been a little bit of a clue to what was happening. So we go and we rip open this big box and we just know it's the PS2. We're so excited. And we rip it open and it's towels for our upstairs bathroom. Like towels. 15, who needs 15 towels anyway? But like there's this massive box just full of towels. And I'm like, really? Like, and they're just kind of like chuckling a little bit. Like, haha, I got you or whatever. It's just like, and then finally at the end of the night, we, we did get the PS2 and it was awesome. But here's the thing, it was only a few months before it kind of lost its awesomeness. When I went back home last summer, I still used one of those towels. Like that, that really? Like the thing, this hope that we had, this dreams that we had for this, for this PS2, like the, the satisfaction and the joy, it did not bring the, the joy that we thought it would. And we have this moment, right? We do this in life all the time. And I have this weird thing where I, I sometimes get a little excited about things and think they're going to bring a lot of joy when the reality is they're probably not. A few months ago, I had to have the windscreen on my car replaced. And so your man is there. He's getting the windscreen replaced. And for some reason, I have this weird thought in my mind. I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Like, this is going to be exciting. Like, I'm getting a new windscreen. And I was like, I start getting a little hyped for some weird reason about this windscreen. And so I go and I get in the car and I look out of it. And guess what? It's just the windscreen. There is nothing too satisfying. There's nothing too exciting about this. And I was like, well, that's a little bit of a letdown. And I remember too, about a year ago, Tiffany and I, we got an ottoman for our house. And like, not only was it an ottoman, but it was like, you, you could put your blankets inside and it was supposed to hold 800 pounds. It can't hold two kids jumping up and down on it, but it, it was supposed to hold this. And I just remember this excitement that we had about this ottoman. I was like, oh, it's going to be so nice because like, it was like we can sit on the chairs together and we can kick our feet up. We can be close to each other and watch movies. This will be great. Um, we did that like twice, I think. And then the ottoman literally just started holding blankets. And like whenever Jess would come over to our house for team meetings, she would sit on the ottoman. But like literally there was nobody like and now the ottoman is like downstairs in our garage because it broke. And like, there, all this hopes, all these dreams that I had about this stupid little ottoman, like it comes crashing down. And as I'm telling this, it's like, I need to refocus some of my expectations, right? But you guys ever been there? Maybe it's not a windscreen. Maybe it's not an ottoman. But you ever pursued something that it just ended up empty? Maybe it's this relationship. It's like, okay, if I can just get this relationship, then I will be satisfied. Then I'll be full. And then you find out, not the case. Maybe it's like if I can just have this status, if people can just think that I'm just this cool person or, or if I can just achieve this one accomplishment, then I will be satisfied. And then you get there and you realize, nope, still not satisfied. Maybe it's a, an amount of money. I don't know what it is, but if I can just have this much money, if I can just achieve this type of financial security, then I will be satisfied. Then I'll be happy. And you get there and you're like, that's it. Maybe it's an experience. Maybe it's like, oh, I just have to visit this place. If I can just go to that place, that magical village or wherever it may be, then I will finally be content and my heart will be satisfied. And then you do it and you get home and I'm like, yeah, that didn't feel quite the way I thought it would. 
Maybe it's, maybe it's an education. It's like, okay, if I can just get one more, one more thing to put on my CV, if I can just get one more degree, if I can just get a little bit more knowledge, then finally I will be satisfied. And then you get it, and yeah, and it's, it's there. But it doesn't bring the satisfaction that we thought it would. So here, what I love about the story, it's only worth it when they worship Jesus. And here's, friends, what I believe with everything in me is Jesus is worth it every single time. Is Jesus is worth it every single time. Nothing is too dear. Nothing is too valuable to give up for his sake. For the, for the employee who, who has yet to get a promotion because they have decided that they were going to be a person of integrity and they weren't going to lie, they weren't going to cheat the system. For that person who sees people get, a, get a promoted above them, let me remind you, Jesus is worth it. For the college student who has decided that they are going to live a life of purity, and they may get made fun of, they may get joked on, but they have decided this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm committing myself to this. Let me remind you, Jesus is worth it. For the secondary school student who spends their, spends their weekends coming to church, who, who goes to, to youth group after, after school, and maybe people think that's funny, they make fun of you, let me remind you that Jesus is worth it for the person who spends their lives committing to, to walking with Jesus, even in a world of seeing people who don't. Let me remind you that Jesus, he's worth it. And this is the moment that wise men, they are only satisfied. Not when they find out where Jesus was going to be born. Not when they get to the house where Jesus was born. They are satisfied when they worship Jesus because he is worth it every single time. And here's since their story begins to come to an end. We find in verse 12, find this. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. I think this is fascinating. They have to make a choice. Who are they going to listen to? Are they going to listen to King Herod? Are they going to listen to God? Same question we have to ask ourselves is who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to God? Or the gods and the lies of our culture says this is what you need. This is what you need to do. This is the route that you need to walk in. Who are we going to listen to? And these guys, they choose God. They choose to listen to God even though they could have gone back to the king. They could have done that, but they choose to listen to God anyway. And we find this multiple times that God uses a dream to protect, king, to, to protect Jesus from Herod. And I love this story. What we begin to see is, is once they meet Jesus, their lives, go, their lives go a completely different direction. Literally, they take a different route. They go a different way. Once we meet Jesus, our lives go a completely different way. The biblical concept or biblical word for this is, is repentance. So what we do when we meet Jesus, we may be walking in one direction. We might be walking a certain way, but then once we meet Jesus, repentance happens and we turn from our sin. Not only do we turn to our sin to some other thing, we turn to our sin and we pursue God. We pursue him alone. So as we get ready to, to look, wrap this up, I just want us to look at, at, at some gifts that are brought. Uh, look at verse, the end of verse 11. These are really significant for us. Here's what it says. 
It says they, they've got to Jesus, they've worshipped him, they've bowed down to him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Although these gifts are clearly an honor to be bestowed upon Jesus, they're also a prediction of the type of kingdom that Jesus is going to have. The kind of king that Jesus is going to be. His kingship is going to be one like none other. And so each one of these gifts, they have some spiritual meaning for us. There's gold. I don't think any of us need to be convinced of what gold is. Like we know what gold is. But gold was a symbol in that day of, of, of kingship on earth. So they give that to him. They give him frankincense, which is like this, this glittering, like odor-filled gum that was, was used to, like, from, from barks of trees. And it was used to symbolize deity. And so they give that to Jesus. So we've got gold, this earthly kingship. We, we have frankincense, which is this idea of deity. But here's the doozy, myrrh. Myrrh came from trees of Arabia and a few other places. It was a much valued perfume that was used for, guess what? Embalming. If we fast forward to John chapter 19, you know one of the spices that they use on Jesus's body? Myrrh. So this is a prediction about, about, Jesus's, about Jesus's death. This is a prediction about what Jesus is going to come to do. Jesus's kingdom was not about conquering the nations but instead conquering the grave and with it sin and death. This is what Jesus was about. He wasn't a king who was just going to get more gold. No, he was a king that was going to come and he was going to die and he was going to be wrapped in myrrh so that his body would have laid in a grave, but he would come out of the grave. Three days later, he would walk out of that. And so as we read the Christmas story, as we read the story of Jesus, it doesn't, it doesn't end with Jesus in the manger. No, it be, our story begins when Jesus walks out of the grave and he leaves death and sin in its wake. And I want us to focus on something here. I think it's really significant for us is when we look at this story, when the wise men finally find Jesus, it says they walk, they enter into the house, they see Mary, but their focus is not on Mary. Their focus is on Jesus alone. That's who the story is all about. It was, they have come to worship Jesus and him alone. Their worship was reserved for one person, and that was the king. Their worship was, was reserved for God incarnate. Their worship was reserved for the Prince of Peace. Their worship was reserved for Emmanuel. Their worship was reserved for Jesus alone. That is who it was for. And at the end of the day, everything, everything is about Jesus. That's who they're there to see. That's who they're bringing gifts to. That was the king that they were going to bow down before. It was all about, it's all about Jesus. As we close, I just want to ask you this question. Does the way that you live your life, does it indicate that Jesus is, is what matters most? When you go about your days, the way you spend your days, the way you spend your time, does it indicate that Jesus is what matters most? Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. God, I, I just pray that you'll just be with each of us. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be 
not content to chase after other things or other gods that, that end up empty and worthless. But God, that we will pursue you and you alone. That at the end of the day, you are all that really matters. That living for you is all that, that really matters. And so God, I pray that in that we put our trust in you. And God, that we trust you wholeheartedly. There's many of us in the room, Lord, myself included, at times we, we start walking on the wrong path. We start heading in the wrong direction. And Lord, I pray when that's been revealed to us through your word or through people and, and through your spirit, Lord, I pray that like the, like the, uh, like the wise men, that we, we go a different route. Lord, we repent, we turn, we walk away. And we walk back to you, come back to you. And God, the reality is that you have been pursuing us from the very beginning. And so, Lord, I pray that we will just, we'll just turn. God, maybe there's somebody in the room right now or somebody listening in online or whatever it may be who's been, been running away from you for, for a long time. Spent their lives chasing other things. But God, if that's the case, pray today is the day we turn around. We stop running from you. We turn and we embrace you and find that you've been pursuing us all along. Lord, we thank you for what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And we get ready to move into a time of communion where we celebrate that, that gift of myrrh, that his body was wrapped in it. That he died, he really died for us, but we celebrate as well. That he didn't stay dead. He walked out of the grave and, and in doing so, he defeated sin and death once and for all. He showed us the type of king that he really is. And Lord, I just pray that that's the King and that's it's King Jesus is who we pledge our allegiance to today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.